Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has six years of law enforcement analysis experience with a total of 16 years, all at the city of High Point in North Carolina. He's a former 911 dispatcher and a current firefighter. In fact, he is the two-time firefighter of the year from Gumtree Fire Department. Here to talk about analysts as a resource. Please welcome Patrick Servey. Patrick, how are we doing? Good, how are you doing? Very well. Now, one of the things I didn't mention in your intro is that you are a fellow PA boy. So that is, that is correct. Born and raised in Western Pennsylvania. Oh my goodness! So where we were born is actually not that far apart in Northwestern Pennsylvania. When I saw that you were a dispatcher in Oil City. I had to smile because I know exactly where that is. And as a kid, I went to the Drake Well Museum there in Oil City. And no one else besides you and I probably listening to this is going to have any idea what that is. But so be it. It's what I thought of. Very true. That area holds a lot of rich history. So I'm interested how you got from being a PA boy to being an analyst at High Point North Carolina. So how did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? Well, to be honest with you, and I've been thinking about this answer, I basically threw out a net and that's what I caught. (laughs) And what I mean by that is I worked at High Point Communications 911 for about 12 years, I think. In the mean, when I was there, I had gone back to school again to take some online classes, got a bachelor's degree, and voila, one day this job opened up at the city. I'm like, let's look into this. Let me use my contacts and get some information on this job, what it entails. And curiosity struck me. I'm, and I'm thinking, wow, this is this sounds interesting because I like to dig for things. I like to research things. This could be right up my alley. And pretty much the rest is history after that. Learned it from scratch. Before that, let's go back a little bit farther, though, and How did you even become a a dispatcher? Like, how did you get into that field? The the dispatcher opportunity came up when I had graduated college out of uh, right after high school. I was looking for a job, something to do. In the meantime, I looked for a, you know, quote unquote, real job. And it is just kind of something that it's a unique job to do. and And I really caught on to it. And it kind of progressed from there. Started at Franklin, City of Franklin Police Department, which maybe has two to three units on per shift. Learned the, the basic skills there, made some connections, knew some people up at Oil City. They were short staffed and really got some good exposure up there with those folks. And they have a few more officers that work the streets at a time. Got to learn a lot more and do a lot more up at Oil City. So I really enjoyed my. It was a short stint up at Oil City, but really enjoyed working there. Yeah. So what's it like to be a dispatcher in a small rural town? Hmm. How to how to explain this? You get to know your customers. You <laughs> basically develop relationships with these people and you can talk with them and, and work through things with them. And, you know, you really develop one on one friendships with your with your officers. 
because they come in, they help you out, you help them out, and you know you're you're working for the common good for your local community, like you because you know your you know your people, and that was a neat aspect about you know working back home is you know you you can really kind of see the impact you're making because you're there to help. How did you go from there then? You're in Pennsylvania to to North Carolina. Yeah, made a transition there. There, I did move where my dad had moved out west for a short time, and that didn't really work out. And ended up meeting somebody who had some connections here in North Carolina. And long story short, that didn't pan out. I won't go into all that. But then that <laughs> you know, North Carolina is really where everything took off career-wise. You know, really, really became an adult, so to speak. You know, yeah, I got, I moved out, moved away from home, got out learned how to be an adult. North Carolina was my first real job, career, you know, room for advancement, training, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. And I will give, I'll give props to, you know, the city of High Point, 911 Center is the, I really learned a lot from the people there and the opportunity to grow there was incredible. All right. So then how was it for you transitioning from small rural town in Oil City to a bigger city in High Point. The biggest thing, the, the biggest shock factor is an oil city in Franklin never used a headset. Didn't even, couldn't even fathom, you know, using one really because you answered the phone and the radio was done through a, like a boom mic that they would have at Burger King. Yeah. But coming into High Point, I walk into this huge room with, I think we had 12 consoles. Each console had like three screens population 115,000 minimum staffing was six plus a supervisor big big transition and learning experience on especially dealing with people different way of thinking you don't have that close connection to the people you like I would know back home if they needed something or needed a police officer it was just more of a, a, a transaction down here you know they call in you don't know who they are you don't know what their background is but they need something and you put it in, ship it through the computer. The the main police dispatcher gets it or the main fire dispatcher. And pretty much that's where your role ends once it's shipped through the to dispatch. So really the, the, the biggest change is the call volume and the type of calls you're getting. Totally different than what you're going to hear in Royal City and Franklin and Venango County. I just imagine that the the pressure and the stress is higher too, right? Because you're dealing with maybe more serious calls and you're looking to, okay, I got calls in the queue. I got to get to the next call. Definitely. And, you know, another thing that, you know, people don't realize about like 911 communications, they think it's all about, you know, the incoming calls. But in reality, a lot of what we do too is, is resource management for instance, High Point at a time may have 30 officers on the street, whereas, you know, back home, you're going to have two, three, or four. In addition, there's 14, now 15 fire stations, sometimes with each station has two units in one station. So you could have, you know, a ton of available units. But if something big goes down, you have to, and this is all learned in, in training and through experience, but, you know, moving those resources around to provide further cover coverage or, you know, let the chiefs know or the lieutenants that there's calls that are pending, priority calls, and, you know, that, that falls back on the responsibility of the dispatcher to keep everybody up to date on what's going on. 
So there's a lot more that goes on than just answering 911 calls. All right. So as you look back at your time here as a 911 dispatcher, what are the high points of working there at High Point? I will only use that joke once. <laughs> I I, I, caught, I didn't know if you realized you said that, but I did catch that. The highlights of working there is we have always been afforded great technology. They don't just hire anybody to fill those positions. They want the best of the best. The training program is great. It's very thorough. It's very intense. And if you don't get into that training program and think, Oh Lord, what am I doing? This is too much. There's something wrong because it is, it is intense and maybe more intense than other places, but, and just to kind of toot our own horn here at high point, but we have a darn good 911 center, probably one of the best you'll find anywhere. Nice. Nice. So I see on your resume that you were nominated for 911 telecommunicator of the year in 2017. What did you do to get that honor? I'm I'm trying to think back. I think that was actually a group nomination without going into a lot of detail. We had a multi-jurisdiction car chase and it included, and I believe I was on the main dispatch channel at the time, and we had three dispatchers on the phone with other jurisdictions who were providing information because we don't we don't we did not have direct radio contact with our assisting agencies. So one person was on the phone with, let's say, Forsyth County. One person was on the phone with Highway Patrol. The other one was on the phone with, I don't know, maybe Davidson County Sheriff's Department. And we're providing updated locations to them. Their information's coming back to us. They're trying to catch up. It was the biggest cluster you could think of, but it all came together. It, it really is hard to even imagine how this all, all worked out, but good experience, good training, and I mean, really calm voices made the, made this this car chase come to a good conclusion. Nobody got hurt. I even think at one point we lost radio contact. So that really kind of threw things in a loop where having phone contact with someone there at the scene was even more important to let us let us know that our, our people were safe. Do you have an absurd call that you were part of or something funny or anything like that i don't i guess i'm thinking maybe florida man type stories that's your it just it makes you smile when you think back at that particular call the the one that it comes up on occasion and i i actually have the recording somewhere saved very short very short phone call it was early morning hours maybe one o'clock two o'clock in the morning phones had been very quiet line lights up there's a female on the end of the line who said she is trying to walk home but there are deer that's right white-tailed deer in the street preventing her from getting to her house that's that's all i need to say <laughs> <laughs> i gave her some short advice and maybe reiterated that's not really a an emergency but i assured her that if she keeps on going they're just going to run away yeah, it would be most of the, my experience with deer is they're usually running away, right? If yes. I see them, they're running away. Or, or if they are grazing in a field, it's 200 yards away that I'm seeing them, or at least far away. But if they're just so used to being in a residential area, just doing their deal in, at night, and I could see that maybe they wouldn't just move out of the way. They would just. Yeah. And, I mean, she was legitimately 
scared. And, you know, that's not really a, a, a police issue, but, you know, you can only do so much to, you know, remedy that situation. But as to if she made it home, I have no idea. But uh, hopefully she did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We used to, when I, I was at Cincinnati Police Department, the guy that worked beside me dealt with the cameras, Barry Witten. He, every once in a while, would get out the tapes that he know, knew of that were, were something really exciting would go on. And we would just listen to the 911 tapes in an afternoon and leading up to all the way from beginning to end of the situation. And it is fascinating because you really can picture and see in your mind how the story comes together with the with the 911 tapes. Sure. Going back to your, your question there a minute ago, something that sticks with you. There was another call that I took and it kind of slipped my mind, but it's it's one that has has stuck with me. It was on a day shift. I think it was even, a, it was a Monday, my first day back. Had just sat down at the console and pick up the phone. It was a nine-year-old girl. I remember her, I remember the age of being nine because once the call was complete, I, I was really curious about the turnout and who this girl was because she provided the best play-by-play of her emergency. And in short, it was her dad and her mother were having a, a pretty heated domestic and he was pointing a 22 caliber rifle at the mom. And this was just outside the city limits of High Point in Guilford County, but literally, you know, it, it's one of those things that, that I sent it to Guilford County through the CAD system. I said, we need to start High Point. It's right across the street from our jurisdiction, literally just across the road. And I've even told people in the past, this, this call reminded me of Rescue 911, the old TV show. The way it played out, I kept her on the phone, didn't even have to say much because she was just that good at providing me details of what was happening. And within a few minutes, I could, and it was a very long driveway off the road. I could hear sirens. I could hear sirens getting closer, sirens getting closer, sirens getting closer. And as they got real close, there was a gunshot. My initial instinct was he shot the mother, but he actually turned around on himself and and shot him himself in the chest because I think he got scared of what was going to happen. And I'm not even sure if he knew the daughter was on the phone with 911 at the time. That is the only call that I can recall that I had to go, had to go take a breather. Knees were shaking to hear those sirens and then hear that gunshot and hear that little girl. Yeah, it was a, it was a gut punch. Yeah, no, it is a stressful situation. And, and we've talked a couple of times on this show about mental health and, and, seeing and hearing and watching very turbulent, violent things and how that could impact the psyche. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there normally is in these centers, there usually is a calming room where you can just go and sit and there's a phone there. If you need to talk to somebody, you can talk it through, but there's just that, for lack of a better term, timeout room. Sure. You can get your get your shit together basically so that is an impressive and did he end up surviving just to close out the story do you know or i yeah i believe he did and you know it's been years i'm gonna go i'm actually gonna follow up and i, I want to go see if i can find anything on that incident um yeah. i think the because it was a rifle and he probably had a hard time getting it in position is my guess mm-hmm. you know i think he shot himself through the shoulder or something uh, but uh, yeah that 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 poor girl but 
She did. If I could high five her, I would give her a high five. Good. Well, let's get to the analysis side now, because you said you used your resources. You obviously are an employee there. Heard about the the analyst position, and I guess it normally to me when I ask how did the dispatcher job help you be a good analyst, it's obviously having idea of the knowing some of the officers, like knowing how the data gets entered into the the system in that aspect of it is for from your point of view is there maybe something that unique or surprised you that helped you transition from being a dispatcher to being an analyst i think making the transition from you know high point communications into high point police department i knew how things operated i understood how they how their terminology works. I knew the 10 codes, how they log themselves out, how they enter things. And I didn't realize it at the time, but when I did make that transition, I'm like, oh, wow, I already know half this stuff, right? I <laughs> understand how it gets to where it does. Now, if I were to make the transition from maybe high point to another analyst position with different 10 codes, different, different CAD, different RMS, it might've been a little bit of a a bigger challenge because you really you're starting from scratch and having to learn their methods, their terminology all over again. But using the CAD, knowing that people still come to me today for yeah, because I've literally mastered CAD and how to look things up and how to do this, how to do that. They're like, how do you know all this stuff? Well, I I used it and learned the the tricks of the trade for 12 years when you're just sitting there sometimes and you need something to do. You, you learn how to do all these weird functions and, and get results. But yeah, definitely making the switch from this, you know, the same one department to another in the, in the city using the same software and the same data was a big help in that transition. Still many, many things to learn when I did make that, make that switch. There's much more to it on the other side, but in the end, it all, it all came together. At the time you were hired, were you the only analyst or were there other analysts at the department? They had, they have one other analyst at the time and they had done some type of study. I think, you know, the, the crime analyst has kind of evolved more so in, in recent years. And they realized, you know, we, we have 200 and like 80 sworn plus civilian, whatever type of formula they used or study they had, they said, you really need probably two or three or four, but for, in the meantime, they, they went with one just to kind of, you know, help balance, th balance things out and, you know, divvy up some duties. Yeah. And let's go into some of those duties. So what were you asked to do and what was the other analyst tasked to do? The, the initial, you know, getting in there, getting my, my feet wet, really learning, you know, not when I say learning now, you know, learning how working with inside the PD, how they translate this data, how they apply it. One of the, the biggest things I did when I went over there was they wanted to create a focus patrol report, meaning what can we send out weekly to help our patrol folks, you know, go to certain areas of the city that, that need looked at. So, and again, I'm kind of, I'm still, you know, piecing this all together and luckily had some good people in our unit great ideas, ended up making, it was about a, like a five or six page document with a lot of maps and stuff that we would push out every week or every once, maybe once every two weeks. It just depended on, you know, what was occurring, but really kind of guided our patrol folks to areas that needed attention. And it, 
and that was something that they they did before but you know they had one person trying to do a through z on their duties but now they could start kind of branching off and, and adding things in to try to help the officers you know focus on other areas right so you're coming in as a dispatcher though you're gonna have a general idea of where the problem areas are right absolutely it's funny you say that because that was what somebody said well you've already worked in there for 12 years you you know where the hot spots are i go i i started naming off addresses how about here 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 and here I'm like well yeah you're you're probably spot on but yeah you you do learn and you don't, you don't even know you're learning it you learn incoherently where the where the hot spots are yeah. and you don't even realize it yeah and i i think that too that's a lesson learned that i went through that i do see a lot of analysts go through is that they will come up with a product, whether it's a map, a report, a link chart, whatever the product is, and they may just give that to a patrol officer. And to the patrol officer, they may be the ones that wrote half those reports that is the source of the information in this process. So Mm -hmm. you're not necessarily giving them anything new. They They could be like, yeah, I already know that. And so, and I, and I believe that happens a lot. And it's just one of those things to keep in mind as an analyst is like mm-hmm. your audience is, are you telling them something new or is it something you're rehashing something that they already know? Yeah, I think a lot of that, and that, that is a good point. You know, you, I hear people say a lot that, oh, this is all repetitive information. It, it is, but what if a new officer is out there who isn't aware of, of so-and-so or isn't aware of this potential drug house, doesn't know the alerts at that location, or what if somebody is coming from first shift going on to third shift? They may not have the same interaction with people at that house daytime, nighttime. So yeah, you do hear officers say, oh, I already know all that, but it's still information that needs to be out there for people to absorb if you're not aware. Hi, this is Sean Fisher, and at my work, we're known as the Nerdery, and we're proud of it. Embrace who you are. My name is Michael Rainey, and you know what really grinds my gears is remembering to clear the cook time on the microwave. It really grinds my gears to see 10 seconds left on the timer when it should see the time. Thank you. As you have progressed over these six years then what are some of your accomplishments what are some of the things that you're most proud of well that's kind of a that's kind of a tough question because i'm not a i'm not a i don't need a pat on the back i don't need a a gold star for me just being able to be a resource to people you know i want to be straightforward with them i want to be you know have open conversations i'm not looking to find the magic clue to solve the crime it's what can I contribute to help out this detective or this officer, you know, using our technology. I, that's, I don't know, that's what I'm proud of. I, I don't want to, I really don't want to toot my horn. I just, I like being helpful with our, with our guys and girls. We have some, we have some great people. I like being part of the team. Yeah. Is there a particular training that you felt that was helpful as you transitioned into the role? or that you had over the last six years? You know, it's interesting. That is a, that's a good question. 
and people have, we've discussed that before too. Like what, what training does a, a crime analyst need? And there is a good, there are trainings out there to give you a good foundation and a good base. And I guess kind of coming, coming into this profession the way I did in a certain way, it's almost the best way to learn is teaching yourself and reading, researching, trying new things and big star here, learn Excel, learn the magic that it offers. It can be a great tool to have. Don't be afraid to, you know, get out there and try things, learn different things, what works, what doesn't work. Always be open to new things. Keep, keep digging into stuff. All right. So this is going to be a plug for Seth Potts' Small Steps. It's our YouTube channel where Seth goes over five-minute lessons in law enforcement using Excel. So I will put a link to his YouTube library in the show notes so you all can check that out. Let's talk about your badge story now, the analyst badge story. And for those that may be new to the show, the analyst badge story is the career-defining case or project that an analyst works. And so again, you're going to be humble here and talk about a team approach. And you can tell that's part of your personality, but we're talking about, this is last year and you're trying to find a rape victim. So tell the story of how this all came to be. Yes. So the story that I would like to share is just about, again, kind of going back to what I just said about being a resource, helping the team get to where they need to be, help them with what they're looking for, open up a few doors for them to, you know, keep looking, keep exploring. We've had LexisNexis for a few years and never really pushed it out for for usage. People had it and they did use it, but it wasn't no one no one ever showed them what the benefits are. And it really is a great tool to have. There are many options that you can use to dig for information on somebody. But what what why myself did and another coworker, we put on several short classes on how to use the basics and created accounts for all these new people, which we ended up, I think, making accounts for just about every officer that in the department. But the one in particular was she works down at the Family Justice Center in Guilford County, which they focus on sex crimes, abuse, stuff like that. And she was looking for a guy that was accused of rape, and he pretty much just kind of disappeared. There, there have been no records of him. She couldn't find any leads. She checked with relatives. She checked with friends, social media, the whole kit and caboodle. So she's gone down her checklist. No luck. Came to the class, and she had her new user log in before class. And she was in there during, during this class, and poof, got a couple hits right away. Had a, it was kind of confusing, but he, he had registered something in like Maryland, but I think he had some relatives there and had a recent interaction, but they, but then that was it. It was, it, it was one, one date, one thing, nothing. So she keeps digging a little bit more, a little bit more looking around and poof, Denver, Colorado. He had just gotten picked up for something and was in the system out of the blue, don't know how he got there, don't know how long he had been there, but he was actually in the jail out there for, for whatever the crime was. And just going back to, you know, the, the tooting my horn here is I like to show people the resources that are out there so they don't always have to rely on somebody else. They can, you know, look, 
they can really start digging on their own and 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 learn, especially LexisNexis, learn this program and the the benefits of it. But it's just a little success story of you know she wasn't familiar with how to use it, and I'm pretty sure she uses it every day now. And that's I, I just think that's a a good story to tell. Don't be afraid to you know open up new doors and try something new. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it, I think LexisNexis, you're you're thinking of public records, right? Your your property records, your your DMVs, your, that type of information yes. that you can get at maybe the county courthouse, right? Mm-hmm. It certainly has grown over the years and has become quite the platform. And for them, they want to have as many data sources as they mm-hmm. can get a hold of, right? So because yes. they what they want to do is have the the end user go there first and use their tool, find everything that they need to do and not go to any other program, right? That's what they're hoping to do. That's what they're hoping to accomplish. There there are many, many law enforcement agencies that are now contributing into the into that that database. I mean, it, it's it's all over. Now not not everybody does it, but but most do. That's something that should be in NCIC, right? That should be in the the fact that that person was arrested and in jail. His record should have been in an NCIC search. Yeah. So, uh, but in this case, it it can be a lot easier to go through a program like LexisNexis than it is to get on that NCIC terminal. I don't know if it's still like a DOS system or not. I'm I'm really showing my age there. When I when I was doing it you know, 10, 15 years ago, yep. it was a DOS system. I had to go to a special computer with yep. a special password to, to access it. Is that the way it still is? It, uh, it's changed a little bit, but I used to call it like the, the Pac-Man screen because you had to <laughs> yes. you had to tab to every every field and you had to hit the tab ten times to get down to the the field you need and yeah. oh it was frustrating. <laughs> yeah, and you had to like the blinking square. Yep, yes, that's yes, right. Yes. <laughs> no, well, it's I guess it, it makes me smile that some things haven't changed. But anyway, so no, that's a that's a good story. I'm glad that that all worked out and i i do feel in a way that's what analysis sometimes ends up being right it is or at least in part right because you are in a way sometimes the gatekeepers of the data and gatekeepers of some of the data tools and yeah. so it, it it does come down to you just not being the only one that can do a certain task And it definitely is beneficiary to have as many people at a department do those types of searches and use the software that the department is paying for. Yeah, that's a good, uh, I like that, Uh, the gatekeeper of data. That's a good way to to look at it. But yeah, there are many ways to find stuff. You just, sometimes you have to know the tricks of the trade. And I keep harping on this. It, It wouldn't surprise me if... By this time next year, LexisNexis is talking about some kind of AI in their in their software. Like that is definitely coming. I I like to study the different sessions at conferences for law enforcement analysis conferences. So you get a lot of the same stuff usually, and like you're not going to have a conference now that doesn't have something to do with social media or uh, dark web or 
motorcycle gangs or telephone toll analysis. That's something you're going to see at every conference. And I really think with artificial intelligence, that is what we're going to see next year. You're mm -hmm. going to see, you're going to start seeing that everywhere. Sure. And so it wouldn't surprise me with all these different vendors, how they are going to implement that, that type of technology. So it is, it is fascinating and it'll be interesting what five years from now will look like. Speaking of five years from now, let's move on to some advice. And like, one of the questions I like to talk about is return on investment. And this is something that the listener can study today that will be give them a good return on their investment five years from now. So what would you suggest to analysts today? I'm not sure exactly what to, I would say to, to study, but just be adaptable and flexible to learning many things because sometimes things change weekly. Uh, there's always something new coming along. Don't get stuck in that in that same, well, this is the way we've always done it. Keep reading, keep researching, keep learning, learn from your coworkers, read online, but just keep, you know, don't don't get stuck in old habits. Open up those doors and let that information in and 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 keep learning. I don't know if that sounds I don't know if that's good advice or not, but <laughs> like sometimes you get you think, oh, this is the way we've always done it. Why would I, you know, why am I gonna change that now? But but in but since then you've you've had maybe another something happened, an incident where you think, oh, well, maybe we should be looking at it this way, but we've always been mm -hmm. doing it this way. Yeah. So things are, are sometimes the same, but sometimes you need to look at it from a different perspective. And that I would say overall in, in my few years few years here is I keep telling myself, you got be open minded because everybody sees sees things differently. You're gonna learn new things. Be open minded. It's fascinating when you first get at a department and you can ask those types of questions like, why do we do it this way? Is this mm -hmm. option or something like that? And you can be part of that innovation. And then you're there for several years and then you might get somebody else coming in like, why do you do it this way? And sure. you're like, and, and, and certainly some of it, while it's the way that it's always been done, sometimes you're just dealing with the end user who f wants to see it that way, right? Yeah. I, I've been mm -hmm. I've been told that several times, like, well, that's the way the deputy chief wants to see it, or that's the way the chief wants to see it. And I'm like, well, I mean, I in a way I get it, but there certainly is a better way to do business, and 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 that that can be frustrating. And sure. it, you know, another thing to that is the the development time. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's a there's a way there's a better way to do that. But dealing with what's already on my plate, I don't have the necessarily breathing room to develop and put into place a better, better way of doing it. Sure. So it, it can get frustrating. And I think every, I mean, I don't I think wherever you work, that's the way it's going to be. Right. You're going to you're just going to have those things like, yes, there there is a better way to do this, but it's not broke right now. And we also got all these other things on the burner. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but, but, but I get it. All right. And then I, I guess what about an un, unpopular opinion in law enforcement analysis? So, you, you know, this is something that maybe, maybe you think is contrary to common belief or something that you think the majority of people think it's this way, but it's really this way. The thing that I hear the most, and it, it's, you know, more of a, 
you know, a joking thing is mm-hmm. that we can whip up some magic numbers and data and say, okay, this crime is going to happen on this corner at this time. That's just not really the way it happens. But you, <laughs> but people do think that, and that's, I mean, that's that's just not not the case. Now, if you have some type of, you know, serial burglar, you know, then you can, you know, work some methods in there. But we don't have crystal balls. Can't can't wave a magic wand. Yeah, I mean, look, and it comes down to the data itself, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the the if the data allows for a pattern to be developed, that's that's where the that kind of analysis and that sure. kind of conclusion comes into play, right? It, it, and I think the frustration can be, well, these reports are all boilerplate. There's you can't really distinguish one burglary from another burglary or one robbery from another robbery and they're so generic that it's hard to say that this group is all connected versus this group is all connected right i mean that's why deb peel when i had her on the show new york city police department they deal with patterns right everything Mm -hmm. that they can describe as a pattern is given a case number and that is case is run out until it's finished right so anything that they can find that is linked together is is taken and ran with and i i really do like that strategy that (laughs) once you declare it a case then you can start adding to it and then people can even the patrol officers can start saying like oh this looks like this this pattern that we just named yesterday, right? Absolutely. On their end, they can understand how to write up the report, what the pattern looks like, and then write up the report accordingly. So it it does help from all phases to, to have that kind of communication from, from beginning to end. I can't imagine the type of, or not the type, but the amount of data coming out of New York city. Yeah. I mean, it must be endless. Yeah. It's, I don't know how they, I don't know how they all, <laughs> how they all do it, but they, yeah. they do it. Right. And it's, it is certainly a lot and it is, it is fascinating. I highly recommend if you get an opportunity to see how NYPD does their analysis work to take every opportunity to consume that information, whether it's in a, in a show or in person. Now you mentioned analysts as a resource, right? And that, that was really what you were most proud of is pushing that analysts can be there as a, as a resource. And, and this kind of gets into the idea of service, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think too, one of the, the traps that analysts can get into is they have their rice bowl, they have their responsibilities, their tasks, their daily, weekly, monthly, annual tasks. That's where they focus on and they're not, they kind of got their head down in a way and not really looking around from them to where they can actually maybe find a need, fill a need type of situation where they can offer different ideas to help out other folks Uh, and not that they want to do it on purpose not that they're trying to be rude it's sometimes you get to the daily grind of what you want to accomplish in a day and some some folks are like look this is this is what i you know this is i have this do kind of thing and this is where again head down get it done and not really worry about the world around them but 
certainly is something to 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 realize that the more that I know you don't like to tout your own horn, but the more that you can talk about the stuff that you know and can do, the more that folks will know to come to you when they need you. Yeah, and that's very true. Like sometimes I never have I never have a free moment because I have people standing at my desk, and, and that's not, that's not a bad thing. It, you know, like you said, you got you have some regular tasks that need done, but I guess it's a good thing people know think that they can come to you and you know and use your knowledge and knowledge and use your resources. Yeah. Agreed. Well, let's finish up with personal interest then. And you are the first person to tell me that you enjoy doing lawn work. (laughs) (laughs) I sure do. And I have been, I have been doing it since I was a young kid. I always have enjoyed mowing grass. I, I don't know, this is a, an accolade for my life, but I bought my first zero turn back in 2017 and I love it. Yeah. And I probably mow my yard more than I need to, but I get on that thing and go to town and I love uh, it. <laughs> yeah, man. I got new, I got new neighbors across the street. He mowed his lawn, I think weekly in January down here. And I'm like, what are you doing to me? You're making me look bad. Like knock it off. Yeah. But it is funny too. My, I have a stepbrother that likes to weed whack. Of all mm-hmm. things, he really loves it. He really loves the weed whack. And so on Facebook, there is this this meme of Mr. Perfect from the WWE yeah. with it with his hands <laughs> on his hip and it just st- a straight stare out in the distance. And it said something like, this is how every man looks at their yard once they're done cutting it type. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> you know, I, I, I will, let me point out this. Maybe I like mowing yard. I want my yard to look good. I want it to be, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't have stripes in my yard or, you know, I weed eat and I cut because I just want everything kind of neat and orderly. And that applies to many components of my life and being a crime analyst. I like to have everything nice and neat and looking good. I want it to present well. I'm not a, I'm not a perfectionist by any mean, but. I don't know. I, I guess I look at maybe the the bigger picture is I just like to have everything nice and neat and you know take care of my responsibilities. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess I'm I guess I'm weird like that sometimes. Yeah. So I mean, let's see here. <laughs> Do you have like any like maybe oddball tools? Like obviously you you said you had the zero turn. You probably have a weed whacker and a trimmer. Oh, yeah and and anything but i guess do you have something that's like okay this is kind of exceptional in terms of your your tools for your lawn well i'm gonna kind of go down a little embarrassing thing i have here i was born in 1983 Mm -hmm. i just just turned 40 but growing up everybody had real horse tractors lawn and garden tractors not not just your normal mowing tractor but you could put a snow blower on it, snow plow, <laughs> rototiller, stuff like that. Well, I may have a little bit of a bad habit. I have two functioning work that work just fine, 1993 wheel horse tractors that are like my 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 toys, so to speak. I keep them up and running. I have a tiller, I have a a plow. I guess they're like my I don't have any kids, so I I guess they're <laughs> like my kids. People look at me like, "Why are you buying these these 1993 tractors and well they don't build stuff like they used to and these are you know made out of metal and the people like look at me and they roll their eyes and i'm thinking, like, hey, this is a 
this is a classic right here yeah. in, my, so how, in my book. <laughs> how big is the back tires on those? Oh, th- these are these are like lawn and garden. They're not like a giant farm tractor. They're just okay, like, okay. They're not your not your little yard yard little mowers. They're not the big ones. They're just kind of like right in the middle. Okay, all right. That's why I was trying to get a yeah. I was trying to describe it to <laughs> audience. You know, that's kind of bad for radio type thing. I was trying to envision like, okay, if I do back tires, that'll that'll give me an idea of how big that <laughs> big that is. And so so how much do you have much snow there? Well, I've only used the snow plow one time, <laughs> but if I ever make that make that move back up home again sometime, I'll be prepared back to uh, yeah. Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, because you have not one but two. So yeah, I, uh, when it when it snowed, I was so excited. <laughs> a little a little kid at a candy store. Yeah. So what do you normally use the tractors for? They're just I don't I just tinker with them and you know there's a lot of Facebook groups that you can. There is all kinds of wheel horse fanatics out there. Oh, man. All right. (laughs) Well, this is why I have the personal interest section, because we would have never (laughs) talked about this. Nope. Ever. (laughs) All right. Very good, Patrick. Well, our last segment to the show is Words to the World, and this is where I give the guests the last word. You can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? Words to the world, specifically to the analysts, don't get discouraged about something that I've encountered a little bit of. And, you know, is the is the sworn civilian rift sometimes. It is there. It is something that can be overcome. You know, think of the bigger picture of what you're doing and, and how you're helping your community, helping helping your fellow officers. Continue to be that good resource. Stay positive and, you know, keep providing the assistance that people need. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. Yeah, <laughs> sure. That's good. <laughs> but I do appreciate you being on the show, Patrick. Thank you so much. And you be safe. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.